Well, welcome this morning. So glad that all of you are here. We're pleased that you're here with us on this Easter morning. It's been an amazing service so far. The Lord decided to show up today. Amen. Amen. He is here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And so we get to celebrate this uh, Easter morning. In a moment, we're going to be baptizing some of our friends, those that are being baptized. We're just going to ask you to wait here just a little bit. We wanted you to participate in communion with us. And so there'll be plenty of time for you to change and to get ready uh, after communion. Uh, There's also, uh, there's been a whole lot of things that already happened today uh, in this service. But if you are visiting here with us today, we want to make sure that you feel invited and, and welcomed Our values here at PFN are that we are known, valued, and purposed. And we want you to feel known, we want you to feel valued, and we want you to fulfill and find your purpose. And we believe that you can do that right here in this church. And so we invite you uh, back next week. We want you to be here in worship at 9 or at 1030. Um, In just a couple weeks, uh, or next week, for a couple weeks, we're going to be learning all about our purpose here on life. And so we don't want you uh, to miss that. And then coming up on April 30th, one of our Nazarene general superintendents over our entire denomination will be here on that Sunday and we'll be bringing the word. So you don't want to miss that as well. It's going to be a powerful upcoming few weeks. So we spent the past uh, six weeks or so with Jesus As he has sacrificed himself on the cross for our benefit, we have listened in as a wounded and weak and suffering man struggled to breathe and struggled to talk from the cross. It's not been easy to spend this amount of time with our suffering Savior, but I hope that this time that we have spent with him in this Lenten period has allowed you to listen in on what he had to say to us. Those words were not accidental. Those words were intentional, and those words had great meaning with them. The first words spoken immediately after those nails were plunged into the flesh of Jesus, and the cross was lifted into place, and and Jesus, full of compassion and, and not wanting anyone to perish without knowing the Father, offers the greatest act of forgiveness when we heard, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Spoken to those that had literally just placed him on that Roman cross, but also those that had him arrested, those that had him sentenced to die. And he spoke those words also to the Jewish people that were there, the same people, some that welcomed him into town a week earlier, but then yelled, crucify him, crucify him because they were disappointed that he didn't do what they thought he would do. But he also spoke those words for us, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. For if any of us truly understood the gravity of our sin, if any of us truly understood what sin does, then none of us would willingly disobey a holy God. Jesus then spoke to a criminal on the cross next to him. After that thief realized that he was suffering the same punishment as a man that was perfect, as a man who had done nothing wrong. And with his simple confession, a statement of belief, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. 
This man did not get a chance to go and worship in church after he was saved. He didn't attend a single Bible study. He wasn't even baptized. But this man is offered the same reward as all of us. Amen? Jesus looked around and he sees his mom uh, there at the foot of the cross. He sees one of his best friends, the disciple, John, and he tells them each to take care of one another. And thus Jesus is entering in this new kind of family, a family that's built upon our belief and our trust as Jesus is our Savior. And now today we can call each other brothers and sisters in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. We are united through him. And through this faith in Jesus, you and I have been adopted into the family of God. And it's at noon that day, the day that Jesus was crucified, the sky suddenly went dark as the sins of the world were placed upon the shoulders of this sinless man. And that is why on Friday we ended in silence and in darkness. That's why we started today the same way. Jesus took on your sin. He took on my sin and the sins of all of those in the past. He took on the sin of everyone yet to be born. And with that weight placed upon him, he quotes a familiar psalm to the people there, Psalm 22. Because it points to the suffering that the Messiah was going to have to endure. And he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as his body is weakened in this Middle Eastern sun and he struggles to breathe and he's nearing death, he declares with simple humanness two words, I thirst. Two very simple words but have great meaning for the soldiers nearby offered him a sponge soaked with wine vinegar and they lifted it to his mouth on the end of a hyssop branch. Hyssop was a branch used by the Israelites way back in the time of Egypt when they were in slavery in Egypt many years ago. And the Israelites at that time were instructed to sacrifice a perfect lamb, to find a lamb without any blemish at all, and to apply the blood of that lamb onto their doorposts. And then later that night when the angel of death came through to deliver the the 10th and final plague in order to save his people from Egypt, the angel of death would pass over the homes of all of those that were, had the sacrificed blood of the lamb applied to it. And so now fast forward again many years later and another lamb is being sacrificed and this time it is Jesus himself. And Jesus drinks of the cup of the wrath of God against the sins of, of creation and Jesus pays the final price And now today, even today, 2,000 years later, anyone who is covered by his sacrifice will not face eternal death, but will have everlasting life with the Father. And near the final breath of our Savior, he announces, it is finished. 
His suffering, his mission, the prophecies of the Old Testament, they are all fulfilled. The curtain of the temple separating the people from God is ripped in two. The old system of needing animals for sacrifice is over. And the price of our sins has finally, completely, and forever been paid. And it is done. It is over. Nothing more is needed. And so now our Savior can die with one more phrase I think spoken with the last amount of the energy that he had left loudly for all of us to hear so it could be heard not just that day, but through all of eternity. It's found in Luke chapter 23. This is in your sermon notes. It was about noon. Darkness came over the land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. A lot of the things that Jesus said from the, uh, from the cross during those six or so hours, he was quoting scripture. And in this moment, he was quoting Psalm uh, chapter 31, verse 5 in particular. We don't know if he said all of this psalm or just this verse, but this is where it came from. Psalm 31 says, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. And since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. And into your hands, I commit my spirit. This morning, I think there's just a, a couple things that I want us to see uh, about the death of, of Jesus. A couple things we need to learn. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write these two things down. Number one is Jesus' life was not taken from him. It was given by him. There's a difference there. The life of Jesus was not taken from him. Jesus gave up his life voluntarily. His spirit, when he said those words, was not ripped from him. He intentionally turned his spirit over to God. Jesus had already shared with his disciples earlier that he had the authority to lay his life down and to take it up again. And he had warned them and he had told them that the Son of Man must suffer. Oh, Jesus could have rescued himself. God could have sent a legion of angels down to rescue Jesus. But being God and knowing what needed to be done, he didn't. So there is no blame to assign here. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the, the Jews. Jesus was no victim here. To those around him, it seemed like Jesus may have had no choice of what was going to happen. He was beaten. He was, he was forced to the cross by those Roman soldiers. Yet, yet Jesus was an active agent in his sacrificial death. He died on the cross because that was the only way the price for our sin was going to be paid. That was it. The price had to be paid. And Jesus paid it all. The second thing we need to learn about the death of Jesus is those last words spoken from the cross were a word of trust. Father, into your hands, 
I commit my spirit. Those are words of trust. I give you my spirit, Lord. I, I give you over myself. Do with my spirit as you, as you see fit. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Let me put those words into context for us a little bit this morning. Jesus was fully man, yet he was also fully God. Scripture tells us that in his very nature, he was God. But yet Jesus didn't consider equality with God something that should ever be used for his advantage. Instead, he chose to use his divinity for our advantage. And so Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of his own death. And he didn't use his divinity as a, as a means to escape the cross. He didn't use his godship to escape death. He gave his spirit over to the Father in complete surrender. But this is Easter this is Resurrection Sunday. This is the day that we come to celebrate not just the death of our Savior, but three days later, his resurrection from the tomb. See, Jesus is no longer hanging on a cross. Jesus is no longer inside of a tomb, for Jesus rose from the death, and not even death could hold Jesus down. So Easter means that our greatest enemy, death, has been conquered. Easter means that our sins are forgiven and we have been made right with God. Easter means that, the, that Christ is truly the king and is victorious. Easter means that Jesus is the Lord of a new beginning, of a new day, and a new life. Easter means that the incomprehensibly great power of God was on full display outside of a tomb where Christ was buried. When about a two-ton stone miraculously moved out of the way, all on its own, and a dead man awakens. The greatest news for us is that same great power that raised Christ from the dead now works in us, those of us who have placed our spirit into his hands. See, Easter means that God can move our mountains. Easter means that God can split seas and he can restore life and he can roll that stone in your life away. In your notes, you have an opportunity just to write down some things for yourself about what Easter means to you. What is this day for you? Is this just a traditional day to, for your family to gather together and to eat some overcooked ham? Is that what this day is all about? Is Easter all about the bunnies and the eggs, or is Easter more than that? What is Easter to you? What, it, what does it mean to you that Jesus took on the price of your sins and defeated the penalty, defeated death? What does it mean to you that he not only served your penalty, but defeated it? So maybe you need to some time just to write down an answer. And if not now, I want you to write down the answers to those questions in your handout before this week and spend some time uh, with Jesus this week and let him know this is what Easter, this is what communion, this is what baptism means to me. See, Jesus appeared to many after he was resurrected. 
A couple of witnesses to his resurrection were uh, these couple guys who were walking home from Jerusalem after the crucifixion and they were depressed and they, they were stunned over the events of this Passover week and they didn't expect that week to end like it did. These two men as they were walking home thought that their hope was lost and when Jesus said it is finished, they may have thought Jesus was referring to their hope. What's going to change now? This guy that we had placed all our hope in uh, is now dead. And it was on their way home. It was during their depression that Jesus appeared to them. We refer to this moment as the walk to Emmaus. Emmaus was the town that they were walking to where they lived. And Jesus walked with these two men after he was resurrected from the dead for about seven miles before they reached their house. And yet the entire way, they didn't recognize who he was. Why would they? To them, Jesus was dead. When they arrived, the three of them sat down to eat. And the normal thing to do after this such a long uh, journey was to grab a meal together because they were hungry and they were tired. And scripture tells us of this meal. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then, don't lose this, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. I found this part very interesting for in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And we take it to celebrate in remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross, but also in remembrance of what he did for us outside of the tomb. But isn't it interesting that these two men didn't know who Jesus was until he broke bread with them and offered it to them? And it makes me wonder why. Well, Jesus would have given them bread according to the Jewish custom. And when he gave the bread to these two men, he would have given it to them like this, with his wrists up, for them to see the scars and to recognize who he was. When I was a middle schooler, a friend and I thought it would be a good idea if the two of us became blood brothers. The trouble was neither one of us was brave enough to make ourselves bleed. <laughs> and uh, we knew how you were supposed to do it. We, but there was neither one of us about ready to take a knife to our hand. And, and so we thought, well, maybe a thumbtack might do the job. <laughs> but we couldn't do that either. I, I don't remember exactly how we became blood brothers, but I think it was through a bad hangnail. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but little did I know that we were practicing an ancient ceremony. Back then, bravery must have been a whole lot more common because people would have placed a cut on their wrist and then they would have shaken hands like this. And they would say that the blood was intermixing between those two covenant partners. And they thought that as the blood intermixed, that these two covenant partners were becoming one. 
now meaning that each one is going to always have the other's back. And so on that day, when Jesus offered the bread to those men, he was purposely showing them the proof that he was in a new covenant with them. And he was saying to them, the one who gives you this bread is the bread of life. You need to know who I am. And I think it was his way of saying, if you need any more proof of who I am, this is it. I will forever bear the scars of the cross so you will always know there is nothing else for you to do except to accept the scars. And so in taking the bread of the cup and the cup of communion, we not only look back to his death that he sacrificed for us on the cross, but we also look forward to the time when we see Jesus for who he really is. For when we see him face to face, when we are united with him forever. And I know that there's a lot going on in this service today, but I don't want you to miss out the progression of events here today. First, we have the opportunity now in our service to say these same words as Jesus from the cross. The last words he spoke from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I don't know what your journey is. Maybe this is the first time you've ever had this opportunity. I want to congratulate you in advance for making this decision to follow Christ. This has been the, God's plan for you your whole life. This is what he wants for you. He's already paid the price for you. You just need to accept it. And when we pray in a moment, perhaps we would ask Jesus to forgive our sins. Perhaps this is the day that you give him over your life. See, I suspect that the creator of the world, the one who had the power to calm the seas and to raise the dead, probably has a better idea of how to handle your life than even you do. <laughs> Could this be the day? that we tell him for the first time? Or could this be the day when we come back to him again and say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I'm gonna ask uh, pastors Joel and Carolyn Parsons to come up and, and get ready for communion. When we take the, the bread and the juice and consume them in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, we do that also in expectation of what he has done for us in his resurrection of the tomb. Before you eat the bread and drink the cup, I want you to imagine that it is the nail-scarred hands of Jesus handing you the elements today. He endured the cross for you. So take this communion, and as the words of Jesus, may they be on your lips as you take communion into your hands, Lord. I commit my spirit. And then in just a moment here, uh, some of our friends will be baptized in a, this ultimate testimony that they have placed their spirit in the hands of the Heavenly Father. And as they are baptized, I hope that you share in that moment with them, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit to. And as they are lowered into the water, 
It is symbolic of their bodies, their souls being washed of sin. Sin does not need to have hold over them any longer, and it doesn't you either. The price has already been paid. 